This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I have a first time guest today, uh, and I'm quite excited about it. Anna Hersbrunner is the president of Synectics for Management Decisions, a company that her father, Jack, started back in 1969. Anna, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm so excited. As you know, my dad's a huge fan. So I'm, um, this is my first podcast, so I couldn't be more excited and, and do this with you. So thank you. Thank you. I'm surprised Jack actually remembers me. We met ages ago. You would be surprised. He has a great elephant memory, and he knows everybody, and you know, it's, he said wonderful things about you. So you probably made a good impression. <laughs> well, <laughs> anything can happen, right? So <laughs> let's start here. Jack started the company, but... You aren't new to the company yourself, so give us your background. Sure, sure. So like you mentioned, you know, Jack, I call him Jack. It's so difficult, you know, because it's, he's always been dad um, in Spanish, not in English. And hearing people call him Jack, I started calling him Jack myself in the office to make it more professional. So now when we talk to each other, I call him Jack and it drives him crazy. He hates it that I call him by his <laughs> first name. Um, but no, like you mentioned, you know, he's... He, he started Synectics back in, in 1969, ages ago, and, you know, he opened this in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and in 78, he had a great opportunity to open offices in Arlington, and obviously, entrepreneur that he is, he dived in, jumped in, and not really even knowing that much English, you know, he's from Argentina, went to school in Columbia University, did his master's and PhD, but he always struggled with English as a second language. So, you know, he jumped in and he came in into the Arlington area and opened Synectics in 1978. I was always known Synectics in Puerto Rico. You know, my mom was the VP of Synectics. My dad was a president. So I've always been part of the business one way or the other. You know, I think I was I got out of my the crib and I had a Synectics t-shirt. I mean, that's that's how I always remember, you know, like you mentioned, you know, you brought your daughter to, to meetings by age three, you know, same way with me. My dad and my mom was, they breathe and live the company. So I was part of it. I was only child. So most of the people that I hang out were probably, you know, adults and, and employees and, and members of the team. So I've always been very close to the business, but part of me didn't really want to be part of it. I kind of always wanted to do my own thing. I think that's part of like, you know, spreading your wings and doing your thing. So, but I've always known synectics. I've always known, you know, the, the sacrifice that both my father and my mother um, had to go through to keep the business afloat and, you know, all the late nights. And, you know, I was brought to all their meetings, lunch meetings, dinners, you know, I, I've, I have stories and, you know, I've, I remember like, when I was like seven, like we were in a restaurant and, you know, they all knew my dad and my mom and like the waiters would help me with my homework. Like that's how, you know, <laughs> after school I would go to these events and it was just so normal to me. Right. So, 
now looking back, you know, it's maybe I tell that to people. I'm like, oh my God, that's very bad parenting. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to my kids today. But it was just very normal to me. And it really kind of gave me a foundation of, of really knowing, you know, what you go through as an owner, especially of a small business. Um, so, you know, I, I've been part of the business, but when I graduated high school, I wanted to do my own thing. Um, you know, I, I, I applied to schools in the DC area because my dad wanted me to be in DC so I could be close to the business. But I was like, no way. I want to go to New York City. I want to do my own thing. And, you know, I actually applied to American University, got accepted. And I was so stoked about it because it's such a great school. But my heart was just on another place of doing my own thing. And I, I went to Hofstra University. I graduated, you know, from mass media studies. I did two minors, one in marketing and another one in fine arts. And when I graduated, I, I did my own thing for a couple of years. But I've always had synaptics in the back of my head. And I truly wanted to give it an opportunity. So, you know, I had a conversation with my dad and, and he was never really pushing the business, even though it was family owned. I guess he just wanted me to give me the space to do my own thing and not rebel. I guess that if he told me that I had to run the business by, you know, since I was little, maybe I would have been rebellious and never done it. But, you know, I was always intrigued. So I came back and I said, you know, I think I'm ready. I, I want to learn more about the business uh, in DC. And it was great opportunity. You know, he made me work my way up. I started at a reception level. I was making copies. I was answering phones. And then I started transitioning into a contract that we had back then. This is 2006 um, when I started working in Synectics in, in their Arlington offices. And I was part of a, a contract that we had with SAMHSA. They needed like bilingual um, expertise. So I would translate you know, documents and conversations that we had. And it was just great. And I was there for like seven years. And I, it, it's crazy because I never thought I would be where I'm here today. You know, I was just part of the team. I don't think anybody saw me as anything else. Um, my dad never gave me any kind of privilege or, you know, I, I was just, just one more. Um, so I really had to prove myself. And, you know, little by little, I started learning more and just different aspects of the business, you know, the accounting aspects, the HR aspects. And then back in 2014, 2015, he had hired a new president because it was hard for him. He was, you know, he's like I said, he's an entrepreneur. So he was traveling back and forth to Puerto Rico. It was really hard to manage a business. So he decided to hire a president. And, you know, I learned a lot. And I was chief of staff to the president. And I really, you know, in those three, four years, I learned how I wanted to run the business, how I didn't want to run the business. And I had a conversation with him one day that I was ready. The plan was to eventually run the company. I had skin in the game. I was ready. He had prepared me his whole life. And, you know, I think that kind of woke him up and said, okay, my little girl's not a little girl anymore. She's ready. And he gave me the, the job and here we are today. Cool. The name Synectics intrigued me because I know it's a concept mm -hmm. developed by the Arthur D. Little company back in the early fifties. Everybody's been involved in those meetings where you know, the resolution is nebulous, the action items are kind of vapor, and Synectics was originally designed to analyze the outcomes of a meeting and give it a direction and a purpose uh, on the back end. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was intrigued by that. So 
what does your company do? I'm so glad that you brought that up because, to be honest, not many people know what the meaning of synectics is. I don't even think people that are working in synectics, you know, knew about it until we really started changing the culture. And, and to me, it was very important to them to know what the meaning is and how my dad, you know, named the company. And we actually name our employees synecticians. Um, so we've kind of played with the word and, you know, pretty much synectics is basically a group of people. You know, if you look at the definition of dictionary, it's a group of people from different backgrounds that come together to find a solution. And I truly speak to who we are. We, you know, I'm from Puerto Rico. So, you know, we all come from different backgrounds, different um, expertise, and we come together to find a solution. And basically we work with our customers to make data meaningful. And, and how do we do this? We, we basically apply a variety of techniques, like including AI, predictive analytic applications, and data visualization to help our customers better understand and interact with their data. You know, we enhance the value of that data through the application of statistical analysis and surveys that can provide an even greater insight to their data. So whether it's an agency that is looking to ensure an impartial grants management system to a customer that is trying to enhance an aviation maintenance schedule or just simply a physician that wants to better understand their patient's data. So, you know, with all those words, pretty much, you know, by making data meaningful, we help decision makers make better decisions. And, you know, we've, we've had a strong base in the past and still today in IT modernization and bringing IT solutions to our customers through that analytics, research and statistical analysis, knowledge management and data visualization. But one thing that we discovered, especially in the last 10 years, is this over um, load of information. Um, you know, like the other day I was reading an article, you know, about a professional saying that, you know, that we have created more information in the last 10 years than in all human history. So, and, and we live that, you know, we, our customers are living that there's so much information um, now with internet, you, you know, better than anybody, you know, with LinkedIn and social media, it could be an issue. You know, our, our, I don't think our brains are designed to handle all that information. And at times, all that information can be a problem for many because they don't know how to handle it. You know, workers sometimes lose productivity. You know, there's a risk of information contamination, which leads to confusion and mistake. And then there could be poor decision making and it costs companies and governments so much money. So we truly want to gather all the data, make it accessible, make them, them, you know, visualize it so they can make the right decisions and, and not be a problem, but truly a solution. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Anna Hersbrunner, the president of Synectics for Management Decisions, right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Anna Hersbrunner. Anna and I have never met. Uh, I met her father, uh, boy, decades ago, Jack Hersbrunner. And I remember him very well, and apparently he remembers me. But tell me what it's like to have your father as mentor, because he still comes into the office on occasion. Yes, and that to me, honestly, at first, 
would drive me crazy, right? Because, you know, you kind of want to lead, but at the same time, he just turned 90 like last month, right? And this man would be in the office from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every <laughs> single day. And like me and my husband would be like, Jack, like it's time to go home. Like I need to tell him it's time to take breaks because he's so passionate about it. And, you know, to him, it has turned into something else. I think when he was younger, he was driven, he was hungry. You know, he grew up from nothing. He had no help. He, true story of like, you know, not, you know, his family not having any money, like him making really working when he was like seven years old. His dad put him on a train to like do something for himself. He's very proud of what he's done, but lately it has become a legacy issue. You know, what is he leaving behind? for myself, for his grandkids, but just the stories, you know, he just wants to be remembered. So I never want to take that away from him. So even though, you know, I'm not going to lie, there's been moments that we haven't seen eye to eye. You don't understand, like <clears throat> I've talked to other small, like family owned business. And I said, we need a support group. Let's go to happy hour and just like support each other. Like, you know, an AAA group. Cause like <laughs> we need help. Cause it's not easy. It's not for everybody to be this involved with a family member. And, you know, for myself, it's not just my father, it's my husband. So it was an honor to grow up next to him. I've learned so much. And you unconsciously, even though it's like you turn into your father and you never want to turn into your father, but you eventually turn into your father. And it's just little by little, just experiences that I've been, you know, through him, you know, learned through him. And he had a tough time because, you know, when I was little, you know, my mom passed away. And it was just him and I, and he was on his sixties running a business and trying to, you know, be a father of a, of a, of a girl, um, of a seven-year-old girl. So it was hard. And, and I think, you know, he had a group, uh, an amazing group of people running the business with him. Those were the people that were actually taking care of me too. Like when my dad had a business trip, like his secretary was a babysitter and she would like take care of me for a couple of days while he was out on business trips. And they were so close. And I know it wasn't easy for him. He, I had to adapt to his lifestyle because he wasn't ready to let go of his business. I mean, it was everything he worked so hard for. So it's just the same way with me. I've, I've, I have that as, as a value. And I try to keep that as a balance today because, you know, I would remember telling my dad, you know, like, you're the boss. Like you tell people that you can't go to the office. You know, you, you can tell people that you're going to take the day off to take me to Disney World. You know, like, why can't you do that? And my kids today do the same thing. And one thing he always taught me, you know, not because you're the boss, you know, you have this privilege. It's, it's really a huge responsibility. You know, there's a lot of pressure and sleepless nights because you have all these employees that depend on you. So I always had that value from an early, early age. And, you know, when he brought me to work close to him, every decision, like he was always not telling me what to do, but mostly showing me how to do it. Um, by experiences. And if I made mistakes, you know, he always was a big advocate of, you know, if you make mistakes, you learn from your mistakes. When I work close to him, you know, as a family, small business, you know, it's different when you're running an idea through your CEO <laughs> or, you know, if your CEO or your boss just doesn't approve of your idea, you know, it's upsetting. But you know, when it's your dad telling you that perhaps, you know, they don't like your idea, you take it personal. You know, we've had issues or, or discussions where it doesn't end in the office. You take that work 
home. I mean, we, we would one time all be living on the same roof, my dad, my husband and I, and running the business at the same time. So it's not for everybody, but we've made it a success and we've learned how to manage each other and how to work together. And my advice, honestly, to people that are considering, you know, getting into business with their, with family, you know, they really have to have conversations ahead of time. And, and to me, like my dad, one day, you know, he was going through some changes in the organization and I had already been in the business for about seven, eight years at this point, but you know, he wanted people that he could trust. And, you know, he literally called me and say, I want you managing the business, you know, at an executive level with me tomorrow. And it was just like that. But as we go, you know, throughout, you know, working together, I just wish there were more conversations about the roles, the responsibilities, the authority roles. And I, I truly think that, you know, those conversations need to happen um, if people are starting to consider working together as a family. And with him, the succession planning, the transition planning, those are huge conversations and they're not always the easiest conversations, you know, especially to him where, you know, retirement is not in his vocabulary. <laughs> so imagine, Mark, what is to tell him, you know, dad, you should just travel more, or just take a break, you know. And so those succession discussions, I didn't want to have them because I felt guilty to have them. Um, I wanted him to be next to me forever. But the business is the business and, you know, there's people that depend on our success. So I had to have those conversations with him and I don't think we were ready. So I think, again, for anybody that is starting, you know, or, or working together uh, as a family business, you have to have those those sessions and transition plans, discussions ahead of time and be very clear of the roles and responsibilities because there's going to be a time that you need to implement it and you're going to be kind of in the dark. Yeah, I've worked with a number of family-owned businesses and during the transition process over the years, but yours has a, a different twist too that I want you to talk about. You went from small to full and open, mm -hmm. and the biggie from my perspective, and this is important, from that full and open to a woman-owned business. So talk about those transitions. Sure. I've, I, you know, that's the one thing I can talk about. It. You know, we, I've lived that, you know, for the past seven, eight years. And, you know, when I was working in the business before I actually stepped in, you know, back in 2012, we have graduated from small to a large business and the prior management wasn't really ready for that transition. There was not a pipeline that could feed the transition. Um, there was no strategic planning on that jump and that growth on what the competition was going to you know, mean. And we had three huge, large um, contracts that were our bread and butter. But if we had lost those, or we, if we lost those, we didn't have anything to back it up. So, you know, when we transitioned, it was hard. And thank God for my father, you know, I'm so proud of him and, and I admire him for that he never took money out of the company. You know, he obviously, he paid himself, uh, but he never took money. He always left it in the business. So through this transition, you know, and we're talking about maybe perhaps three to five years, you know, where we were struggling, where our business that we always primed our contracts and we had to start actually sobbing when our overhead, we did not stand for sobbing. You know, we were primes. Um, we had huge work shares. So it, it was 
difficult for those years because we didn't have anything, you know, didn't have any unique BPA or any unique contract. And we had to really start partnering with people that had that unique um, differentiator, either a socioeconomic status, but we basically, thank God, we were able to hold the office through those three to five years to then recertify as a small business again. And again, we, we were able to have vehicles as a small business and it started opening a lot of doors again, which were closed before. And back when we graduated, we said, okay, so it just makes sense. Let's just hire more people in BD, start selling more, submit more proposals and the problem will be solved. Well, that was not the case because we were not seeing all the opportunities that we could have primed. You know, we were investing heavily on business development. I think at some point we had like 11 to 12 people in the team for a company that I was in paper, a large business, but we were really, you know, acting as a small uh, business. So, you know, those years were really hard. And, and again, thank God we were, you know, we're fortunate to recertify as a small business and then change the game. And to me was a huge uh, opportunity to actually run the business the way that I wanted to, to run it or the right way, you know, with the right processes, with the right planning, you know, always thinking ahead of time, not, not really reacting, but planning. And I think for a long time, we were kind of always reacting to things instead of actually being active and really preparing ourselves. Okay. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Anna Hirschbrunner, who is the uh, president of Zenectix for Management Decisions. So let's go a little further from our last discussion. What was the process you had to go through to take, uh, you know, so you're back kind of to small, but that woman-owned small staff. Sure. So, you know, that again, you know, the family business part comes into effect because, you know, we were small, but, you know, my dad was still the owner. My, my dad was still, you know, I was helping him run the business as a president, but he was much in the decision-making and in part of the business. And I knew that certifying ourselves, not only, you know, as women-owned business, what it meant to me personally, professionally, the opportunities that we would be able to go after that unfortunately we, we couldn't before. So I had the conversation with him and I think more difficult than actually going through the whole certification process, which, you know, it's not difficult. I mean, as, as long as, you know, you, you prove that you want own and, you know, you have all the documentation paperwork that they request, it was really convincing him, my dad, to let go of his baby. So after we had those tough conversations, you know, I think he saw that I was prepared and we started truly transitioning the decision-making to me. I was already a president, but it is important that, that you're really running the business. That is a woman making the decision the everyday decisions, you know, it's not just signing a paper that you are part of the decision making every day. So we wanted to make sure that before we actually certify ourselves, that we started taking those actions and implementing it. Then we just recertify as a woman owned. And like the moment that you submit that, your proof, you, you go, right? It's a green light. And you start contacting partners and letting them know that now you're a woman owned and you start contacting the small business offices and different agencies and customers that we had. And honestly, the amount of attention that it has brought to the business, the opportunities that we've been able to, to go after, and the discussions that we've had at our level with other partners, I mean, it's been amazing. 
Okay. You had an instance, though, where one of your business development people was talking to uh, a small business officer in an agency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our, you know, our great BD team, you know, kudos to them. Great team. You know, they, they're really starting to contact every agency that was our customer. And one of our customers, you know, she was amazing. She was just new to the agency. And literally the moment that he started talking to her, it's like, you know, thank you so much for the information. This is great, but I want to talk to her. Like, is she available? Like, what's her phone? And literally, like, I remember this was like, actually like a weekday. It was like six o'clock in the afternoon. I was really like, at the gym working out and they call me it's like you know the the small business office once lady wants to talk to you are you ready and i'm like i'm ready you know so it was a great conversation but i i think you know if she was vouching for us she was really trying to make changes in the agency for them to to do more small business um engage more small businesses especially women-owned she wanted to talk to me. She wanted to know that I was actually invested, that I was part of the business. And there was just not somebody saying, you know, yeah, we were known. She wanted to prove it. And that was important to her because she said, if I'm putting my skin, you know, in the game and, and vouching for you guys and vouching for the small business, women-owned business, I really need to vet that. I really need to do that. And kudos to her. I mean, they have to go through the due diligence. So I was more than happy to talk to her. But that's how specific they want to get and, and how you have to prove that you're part of the decision making. And this is not the first time that I've heard of an Ozdabu reaching out to say, I need to talk to the business principal, the owner of the business. But I've run across situation where there's been reticence on the part of that business owner, uh, either due to a physical limitation, because in one instance, they wanted the business owner to show up, not just be on the phone. Mm -hmm. uh, and they wanted to vet the skills. And this business owner had a, uh, a physical problem, and he really didn't like going out in public. Uh, and I understood that, but they lost business because he wouldn't go to the meeting. Mm. So if you're a small business out there and the Ozdabu or the program manager wants to meet with the principal of the business, take the darn meeting. <laughs> you know, this is the way it happens sometimes. But let's talk about some of the, the things that Selectix does. For a long time, and, and it's certainly not the only thing you do, but for a long time, you've developed this reputation of really the, the experts in the grants aspect of the market. Yes, and, and that's her base, you know, and, and, and we were, we're very proud of that. And thank God to that experience, we've been able to kind of use what we learned from the government grants. You know, it's, it's our foundation. We're still doing it, but it kind of created new capabilities. So it just gave us areas uh, that perhaps were not developed yet that we're trying to develop. And, and with the grants, what we're really truly doing is it's really managing the data. You know, we, we're still doing it today at one of our huge contracts. And, and what they made it is just easier for the customer to search through all that information of grants that are coming in into their web portal and doing key search words. So it's just really all that information, again, overload of information, how you make it more accessible to the customer. And grants management was our base. It's still where we want to be, but we've been using what we learned and the capabilities that it, that allowed us, that it gave us to actually to go to areas that we couldn't before. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know if people really understand how much money is involved with the federal government putting out grants to 
uh, universities to state and local governments to other research institutions. I mean, it it's massive. Mm-hmm. And, and and we're really not involved in that process. Mostly on when they get all this, you know, applications, we pretty much help them kind of handle that data. So we're not in the process of dispersing the grants. Right. Mostly on the data aspect of it. But it's huge, the opportunities. And some of our customers, I mean, they're giving grants to scientists. And it's, it's amazing that the work that they're doing through it. Okay. So let, let's talk a little bit about the other things that you do. When, when I was talking to uh, uh, you and some of your staff mm-hmm. last week, this topic of your involvement in this uh, tele-app, tell us about that. Sure. So, so, as you know, we, we always have to adapt to what the customer needs. And we've been in conversations for a while. You know, my father always, he was always bringing all these ideas and these other opportunities. And I'm always very protective of the time of our staff and our team. So any idea that he brings, I usually want to vet it. And I actually want to make sure that it aligns with our capabilities. You know, he has brought opportunities that are like about bulletproof tests, you know, and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't know if that's us. But when he actually introduced his company, you know, he, he wanted me to meet the business development uh, lead of this Danish company who they were doing amazing things for telehealth. And, you know, I was, I was not 100% in when he started talking to me until I saw what they had to offer. And it really intrigued me because it was not something that I was starting it was something that they were already doing in Europe. They were being actually successful. And that to me immediately, obviously grabbed my attention because they were really wanting to just, they were having some success in Europe, specifically in, in Denmark, but they wanted to get into the U S market. So they wanted somebody who knew the business and we started talking. And when I started seeing all the things that they've done, um, you know, they talked about how their application not only monitors, Uh, just one uh, symptom. You know, there's some applications out there that they just do one kind of monitor, just one disease. And as we know, many patients with age develop other diseases. So it's challenging to monitor just one specific disease. So they were able to do a more generic application where they are able to monitor, you know, hypertension, high blood pressure in a heart disease, you know, obesity, diabetes, you know, so it kind of does it all. And that kind of really, you know, had me interested right away. And they were also had evidence and they were able to prove, you know, how telehealth was actually saving money, not only to the patients, to the hospitals, to the health insurance, and, and they've been successful, right? They're done it, they're doing it. And to me, when I going into business with somebody or, you know, I start talking to somebody, I want to make sure that they had results. You know, it's at our size, I don't have perhaps the time to effort and money to go into something that it's not really yet proven. So it, it was actually, you know, the capabilities, it was just a great match. And what being able to do is to really have nurses, you know, uh, monitor more patients. I mean, they're talking about hundreds a day versus what nurses uh, do today. And sometimes, you know, they're, the hospitals are overworked. So the solution gives the hospital the ability to prioritize. So when we were talking about it, you know, before this whole COVID-19 pandemic, we we're really talking about monitoring different diseases. And especially the part to me that was very interesting is how do you get to other areas where people don't have the access uh, to the right medical care. You know, we're talking about rural areas where, you know, sometimes hospitals are closing. You know, I was reading an article on CNN 
the other day that uh, the rural hospitals are closing. Since 2005, 180 hospitals have been closing, and you know, every day they more close. And there was a West Virginia hospital that just closed a few weeks after the pandemic because they, they don't have the ability to survive the pandemic. So it, it's just very intriguing to me how the telehealth application can reach out to people that you know, perhaps would have to drive hours to get the care that they need. And it just really spoke to the amazing work that we will be able to do. But not only that, all that data. I mean, we're talking about data. Doctors have papers and papers of, you know, and data that they need to digitize, that they need to make a meaning of it. Um, if they have all these labs and all this pressure, you know, heart pressure numbers, they don't know what to do with it. When I heard this, possibility of working together, it really, you know, stuck to me what we could do and, and, and how it speaks to our mission. So I, I, right away when we were already talking and then COVID-19 started and we just went in, we talked to them and we said, we want to partner. We want to do have this strategic alliance where we work together, where Synectic's capabilities and the open telehealth application come in together. Because obviously the telehealth is an application, it's a software, it's, it's a tool. But then we can come in to make the data visualization, to make that all that data meaningful, to understand the data and make it easier for physicians to understand it and make decisions from it. So again, it's just this whole telehealth to us was, was something that we were very passionate about to the contribution that we would do in the nation and, and all the people that would have access. And then not only that, then we started talking about, like, you know, the COVID-19, you know, there's a need to really start diagnosing very soon. And how you do that, um, they tell you, don't go to the doctor, don't go to the hospital unless you know, you know, that, that, that you're very ill. And this tool, they were able to then tailor it to just COVID-19 and to really start monitoring patients. And then, you know, it's, it's a whole, you know, application where it takes you. And then if you need it, then obviously you will have to go to the hospital, but it's a way to start monitoring before and it keeps people from the hospital unless they have really, really have to. And, and to us, you know, it also gives the patients the ability to monitor themselves. And to me, you know, nowadays I'm, I'm so guilty of it. You have all these applications on how to lose weight and monitor the Fitbit and your heartbeat and how many calories you're burned. And you're kind of get very involved in your health. And with applications like this, the patients start truly monitoring that data and start making better decisions and better decision makes being healthier. You know, it's, it's, it's better for themselves. It's better for the healthcare industry. And we've been very fortunate to find the right tool that has proven success to actually implement it here. And we've been talking to different government agencies, other companies on how we can, you know, incorporate this and truly do something meaningful. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Anna and I will be back to wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Anna Hersbrunner of uh, Synectics for Management Decisions. Uh, you can find them, correct me if I'm wrong, smdi.com. Is that, that is correct. smdi.com. Uh, but we hadn't said that before, so I'll say it now. Thank so you. Going through, uh, you know, your background, Jack's background, the migration from small to full and open to woman-owned small, 
the COVID rapid response. But the, 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 the neat thing about the COVID rapid response was the use of your internal brainstorming group. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, you're applying synectics internally to grow externally. So this group formed the relationship with the Danish firm. But how does that group monitor the risk changes and the directions for synectics going forward? Sure. And, and you said it beautiful. You know, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to hire a great team and one of the people that have made such a huge impact, um, you know, it's Mr. Spears. And, and we've been fortunate to have someone like him because he looks at the world through a more dynamic lens and he asks and looks for signs that have a sudden shift and what do we do about it? And, and he's always, you know, always looking at the risks and how we're going to monitoring the risk and how we're going to apply changes. And, and really, you know, he, we anticipate a lot of these things. We anticipated the COVID-19 even before it started truly affecting us. We started partnering with a Danish company, but we also started preparing our team the right way. I mean, even before people started working remotely, you know, we started that a few weeks before because we wanted to make sure that we were prepared. Um, so it comes to that, you know, and truly we have also obviously our ISO certifications and we want to make use of that. So really managing the risk. And we have an amazing group that, you know, and it's it's, it's crazy because they're they're, they're always finding risk. But the good thing about finding risk is that you're ahead of the curve, you're ahead of everybody else, and you're immediately looking for solutions and you have planning and you go through strategic solutioning. And, you know, we, we have a group, you know, where we take quarterly, we take the whole group, we, you know, we stop doing everything else except obviously our billable people, but we start talking about the customer. What are we looking that they need? What is it trending? What are their mostly things that are not making them sleep at night and really having those discussions before, because when, what later on is, is too late, you know, once an RFP or an RFI comes out, that, that's too late. Everybody else has access to that. So we really want to have, you know, that vision before everybody else to start attacking it sooner. And, and I've been fortunate to having the right team, but I think Spears brings that, you know, experience, um, you know, military background and, and we've had a lot of those and, and it's amazing their, their ethics and, and the way that they, they have skin in the game and they're all in. And I think that's been a, a huge difference culture and, and how we, you know, our team is developed now because everybody is in for the best of the company, not really themselves. They're very invested and they, everybody acts like owners and that has been such a huge difference this time with the team that that I build because everybody's all in. I mean, now working remotely, we've been busier than ever. Um, And it's just really getting ahead of those opportunities and really trying to understand the customer better and telling them, you know, what they're going to need before they tell you what they need. Um, And that's how you really start looking good in front of your customer, you know, because that's what they want at the end. They, they want to look good and, and you want to represent. Um, so it just has helped us significantly this time around on how we, you know, vision and position ourselves. Okay. Now you've leveraged this to get into uh, the survey side as well. Mm-hmm. What, what are you doing there? Sure. So survey has always been our, our bread butter as well. You know, um, it's another way of understanding the data. You know, right now, I think, you know, with the COVID-19, we believe it will be growing area. You know, service can be used to help understand the disease, the symptoms. So it's a growth area for synectics and, and we're expanding our capabilities 
by hiring new staff. I mean, we have statisticians that have been in the company for over 20 years. I mean, we're very proud of that, but we still want to grow the area because we anticipate that, you know, specifically with this COVID-19 pandemic, there is going to be so much data and there's so much service that we're going to have to, to put in place. And, and basically today we're taking all the data, you know, um, from the government and, and, and allowing them to make decisions for the surveys. So surveys is huge to us. And then, you know, obviously through our contracts, you know, we've, we have an innovation lab, um, internally, but obviously as a small business, um, not until we start doing the work is that we really can invest in it. So we've been fortunate and blessed to have one contract that it has allowed us to build in the AI. And that's something that our team is super passionate about. I mean, we talked about it at our size. I think there's a lot of opportunities, especially now being women owned and we're doing amazing things in our contracts that now, you know, we've done it for a customer. We know how to do it for others. And it has just, level that data management because it's just a whole nother level and and the customer wants it you know there's huge interest nowadays so because we've been able to do it for a customer it has given us the opportunity to explore it to learn more about it um, and truly start investing in tools that are going to allow us to do um, our work better cool this has been great. Anna, thank you so much for, for joining me today. When this is over, we'll, we'll get together for coffee. Oh, for sure. I'm, thank you, Mark. Honestly, like I was so humbled by the opportunity, you know. Um, so thank you so much. You, you're a friend. Anytime you need anything, please, you know. If you want to have me back, I'll be here. But, you know, yes, I want to have coffee with you anytime. There you go. Um, this is not my day job. I advise companies on all <laughs> aspects of marketing. Yeah to the government, but I specialize in LinkedIn, social selling, content marketing, differentiation, and building a subject matter expert platform. I also have a year-long program for small businesses that deals with that. So if that's of interest, drop me a line at markamtower at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off-Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. This just in. Reportedly, pigs can fly. We're going live to... Can't take another crazy headline? Well, here's something you can appreciate. The MyGM Rewards card gives you best-in-class rewards with four points for every dollar spent everywhere and seven total points earned per dollar spent with GM, bringing you one step closer to a new GM ride. That's the power of appreciation from us to you. Subject to credit approval, terms and limitations apply. Visit MyGMRewardsCard.com.